Today, at the beginning of the new year, we begin one of the most precious sections we have in the Bible. The chapters 13 through 17 of John's Gospel record for us the conversations between Jesus and his disciples on the evening before he was executed. And knowing that these are the final moments before his death, Jesus pours out his heart to his closest friends and followers. He speaks words of comfort, but also challenging words. We'll see that he prays for them. It is a picture of the heart of Jesus who wants to prepare his disciples for what is to come. But in this climactic moment, Jesus is not turning inward with anxiety about what awaits him. Jesus is turned outwards to his disciples, loving them, we are told, to the end. So I'd encourage you, if you want to look in your Bibles or or look in the Bible or open your bulletins, we're going to be in John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17 this morning as we hear the Word of God continuing our series through the Gospel of John. John chapter 13, we will begin in verse 1. Let us hear the Word of God. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands and that He had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside His outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around His waist. Then He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around Him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, 
A servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that in a world that can seem so full of confusion and uncertainty, you speak the truth through your word. I pray, O oh God, that you would use me in spite of my sin to faithfully and clearly proclaim your word, applying it to us. And I pray that you would please give us ears to hear. Open our minds and our hearts to receive your word as your word. To sit humbly before your word and to know that you, almighty God, are speaking and you speak good things to us. And so may we be blessed by the hearing and receiving and believing of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. As we approach our passage this morning, I would like to do it from the perspective of verse 7, where Jesus says, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward, you will understand. This verse tells us that what Jesus does by washing the disciples' feet is easy to misunderstand, especially if we do not see his actions in light of his death and resurrection. So I want us to first consider what Jesus did in this passage and what that means, and then how we, like the disciples, can misunderstand what's going on when Jesus is washing their feet. So we first need to look at what is Jesus doing? What is he trying to communicate by washing his disciples' feet? Well, I want to see three truths that connect and form a bigger picture about what he is doing. And so first, we need to see that Jesus was motivated by his love for others. That the driving force behind the foot washing was not stinky feet, but love. We are told that Jesus, having loved his own who were in the world, loved them to the end. And surrounding all this talk about love, we are told what Jesus knew about this moment. That Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world. And so even though within 24 hours Jesus is going to be nailed to a cross, he was still lovingly focused on his own disciples. Now consider how amazing that is and unlike us. That if you knew that tomorrow morning you had major surgery and the percent of you making it was not a hundred and not even like 90, but it was iffy. If you knew that everything about the night before would be focused on you. People would be catering to you, making sure you had all you needed. What do we need to do to make sure everything goes well for you? Your mind would be a whirlwind of logistics and worries, and no one would expect you to serve anyone else. You would be expected to focus on yourself. And yet Jesus, knowing he was going to be killed the next day, focuses on meeting the needs of others. That he had loved his disciples over the last few years and he wasn't going to stop loving them now. 
He would love them to the end. And that love extended to all of Jesus' disciples, including Judas Iscariot. Not only did Jesus know about his impending death, he also knew that Judas had already decided to betray him. We're going to talk more about Judas and his betrayal next week, but I want us to see that Jesus' love extended even to him. Jesus wasn't going around the table washing people's feet and then awkwardly skipped Judas and kept going. No. He washed Judas's feet. Even though Judas had nothing but wickedness for his master, Jesus showed Judas love by washing his feet. And so there is a love connected to this foot washing. The love for Jesus The love he has for his disciples motivates them to wash their feet, which was an act of scandalous humility. That is the second big truth about what Jesus is doing. That John, the author, goes into great detail telling us what Jesus did step by step, showing us that Jesus lowered himself to the position of a slave. We have no comparable practice in our culture to foot washing. None. Nothing comes close to the idea of class and status and touching each other. Nothing at all. Only the lowest servants in the ancient world would be, would be required to wash the feet of others. You would certainly wash your own feet, but most people would not have to wash the feet of others. And people in authority, well, they never wash the feet of others. Jesus did. And we can see from Peter's reaction that he is scandalized that Jesus would do such a thing. That also tells us Jesus didn't do this all the time. This was a new thing. And so Jesus is trying to teach something new by washing their feet. We connect this to what Jesus says in verse 3, that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. And we see that what Jesus is doing is providing a picture of his mission, of why he was born at Christmas. That Jesus left heaven on a mission that would require him to become a humble servant. But he did not come to line everybody up and wash the filth off of their feet. He came to make himself lower than that by dying a shameful death for people. This sacrificial death would not remove dirt. It would cleanse us of our sins. And that is what this washing points to. It points us to the cross. And so this act of foot washing points us to the unique sacrificial death of Jesus. But we see also, third, that it is an example for Christians to follow. And so it is done in love, pointing us to the cross, setting an example for us. That after washing his disciples' feet, Jesus gets back into his normal clothes and he starts explaining why he did what he did. He says, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Jesus is steady, setting the standard of service for Christians, showing that we should be willing to obey any command the Lord gives us. Jesus says, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. 
So if Jesus is our master, and he humbly lowered himself and served others like that, then what makes us think we would be above such service? I imagine if Jesus had asked, Peter would have washed his feet. Because, you know, you're the Lord. I'll wash your feet. But if Jesus had said to Peter, I want you to wash the other disciples' feet. He'd be like, why me? They should wash their, they, they should do it. He would have been like, no, I can't do that. What if Jesus had asked him, I want you to go out in the streets and find the poor, the homeless, the crippled, and I want you to wash their feet. Peter would be like, nope, that ain't happening. Not today. Jesus is clearly communicating in his foot washing that no obedience to God should be beneath us. At work, at home, at school, we may occasionally say, that's not my job. We got people for that. We can't say that to the Lord. Our passage ends in verse 17 with Jesus assuring his wary disciples that they will be blessed for following his example. That this example is very different from the kings of old we saw in our Old Testament reading. That instead of taking and taking and taking and using his authority, Jesus lays it aside saying, I will serve others and make myself a slave for them. So this is what Jesus is communicating to us through his action. That he is doing all of this out of love, pointing us to the cross, and how that sets an example for us. It's what John wants us to see in what Jesus is doing. But just as the disciples didn't understand what was going on in that moment, we can miss the meaning or twist the truth of what's going on in this passage. And so I want us to consider four ways we can get this wrong. Four ways that we can look at what Jesus is doing and not see it rightly. Now, the first and most obvious way is that we can see or think, Jesus, I don't need you to wash me. We see that Peter tried to reject Jesus' cleansing in verse 8 where he says, You shall never wash my feet. Now, we might be tempted to judge Peter, be like, bad move, Peter. But has anyone ever come up to you wearing only a towel and said, I need to wash your feet? Not, would you like me to? but I need to wash. No, I imagine we would find any excuse in the world. Like, don't touch me. Please get away. I, I washed my feet this morning. I don't need them to be cleaned. I don't want you to see how I didn't cut my toenails recently. No, we would find every excuse not to have this happen. And yet here, Jesus tells Peter, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. That's an odd way for Jesus to say this, but he means that unless we accept that he must wash our feet, we can enjoy none of the benefits he offers. We need him to cleanse us. Only he can cleanse us from our sins. Some people try to find, find workarounds. They're like, maybe if I clean other people's feet enough, if I obey Jesus' example enough, my feet will somehow get clean. 
There is no amount of example following we can do that keeps us from needing Jesus to clean us. Peter did not like the idea that Jesus had to lower himself so significantly in order to clean him. We don't like to receive help either. Whether we are asking for directions, whether we need to accept financial assistance from someone, we like to think that we are not that dirty. And if we are, we can clean it up ourselves. But Jesus says that we need Him to wash us in order to have a share with Him. So understand the only way to be right with God, to enjoy eternal life, is to humbly accept that Jesus had to suffer and die for you. So that's one way we can get things wrong is rejecting the cleaning. A second way seems totally opposite. We can get this way wrong in Peter's other extreme, his pendulum swing. Peter said, no, 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 I don't need you to wash my feet. Do it all, Jesus. Like if my feet are dirty, just clean everything on me. Head, hands, I need everything. But sometimes we can think that a normal washing isn't enough. We are so dirty, we need an extra super thorough cleansing. Now, children, this verse is not to be taken out of context where it says the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. Okay, don't hang that up in your bathroom. All right. There's this impulse that we can have that we need more cleaning, that we need Jesus to do more than die for us, that our guilt and shame builds up so much that the only way for us to get clean is Jesus needs to do more. Or Jesus needs to do what he did, but then we also need to do more. But Jesus tells us that we are clean, clean based on what he has done and on that alone. That no matter how sinful we are or how sinful we may feel, how dirty we may feel from our sin, Christ's sacrifice is sufficient to cleanse us of all our sin. No extra cleaning is necessary. But it does say, you got to wash your feet. Well, Jesus seems to be saying that when we walk in this world, this world is full of sin. And as we go about our lives as Christians, our feet are going to get dirty. We are going to keep sinning. But we don't look to some new cleansing of Jesus. Rather, we continually look to the cross for forgiveness of the sins we keep on sinning. So if any of you ever feel like failures, ever feel too dirty that Jesus can save others but can't save me, remember Christ cleanses us of all our sin. That you are clean in Him. He is a complete Savior. And that no other cleansing is needed than what He gives. So that's a second way we can get things wrong. A third way we can get things wrong is implied in verses 10 and 11 regarding Judas. That Jesus says to his disciples, you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. One commentator notes that washed Judas may have been, cleansed he was not. And so the third way we can get this passage wrong is to think that we are clean simply because we are washed. Judas shows us we can be washed without being clean. 
This means that we should not put too much value in religious rituals or external behaviors. Because if you look at Judas, he was one of the 12 disciples. He listened to all of Jesus' teaching right there in the moment. He was around the Son of God a lot. And Jesus himself with his own hands washed his feet. Yet Judas was not clean. Judas was not saved. In his heart, he did not love Jesus. We can be around church, even regular attenders in Sunday worship. We can volunteer in church. We can be baptized members of the church. But those outward things do not guarantee a heart has been cleansed by Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. All of those things are great things. Being baptized, volunteering to serve, regularly attending worship, all good things, pro, pro those things. But Judas shows us it is possible to have all of those things without being cleansed. You can be physically close to the people of God without being one of the people of God. So understand that what is symbolized in things like baptism, the Lord's Supper, and this foot washing, we need what is symbolized there, not the things themselves. We need Jesus. He is what all of those things point to. So that's the third way we can get things wrong. And the fourth way we can get this passage wrong is that we may not follow the example of Jesus. We may see our own sinfulness, we may see that we need to be made clean. And we may see that Jesus is the only one who can make us clean. We may trust in Jesus. We may admire Him as our Savior. We may know His Word and what He expects of His followers. But even with all that, we might not follow His example and obey His commands. Jesus says in verse 17, If you know these things, Blessed are you if you do them. Yes, it is true that we are not saved by obeying His commands, but we are saved so that we obey His commands. That those whom Jesus saves, He expects to serve others just as He has served us. That was the principle He laid out in verse 16, that if our Lord has obediently served, then who are we to object of the service He asks of us to give towards others. Jesus does not command us to do things He wouldn't do. He is not some king who sits up there and says, all of you puny people serve one another. No. Jesus went before us and perfectly gave us an example of humble service. Jesus shows us what greatness and leadership looks like. It is when people in positions of authority willingly set aside that authority to serve those below them. It is when we give up our time to visit or call those who are lonely and sad even when we've got a to-do list of things to do. It is when we prepare or deliver a meal to someone who is feeling stretched thin. It is requiring us to stop thinking primarily about ourselves and like Jesus, to love one another. To see how we can sacrificially serve others and meet their needs. And so understand that Jesus has called us to do 
as He has done. These four understandings we see in the passage, they can be seen in our hearts. They're not just things that happen to the disciples. We can misunderstand these as well. And they happen in our hearts. As we're told in verse 17, it's possible to know these things without doing them. That the disconnect between knowing and doing is a heart filled with the love of Christ. And so what we need is to hear the good news afresh regularly to have our hearts filled with this love. One way I I loved doing this, looking at this passage, is by looking at how one commentator compares this passage and what Jesus did to what Paul writes in Philippians 2, talking about the cross. Then in Philippians 2, Paul writes, "...have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus." who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore God has highly exalted him. On the night that Jesus was arrested, Jesus rose from supper just as He rose from His throne in heaven. And He laid aside His outer garments just as He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Instead, He made Himself nothing. He took a towel and wrapped it around His waist, taking the form of a servant just as He took on human flesh. He poured water into a basin and washed his disciples' feet and wiped them clean with his towel just as he poured out his own blood to cleanse us of our sins through his flesh. And when he had made them clean, he put on his garments and resumed his place just as he rose from the dead and put on his glory again and was exalted by his Father back to his throne in heaven. He did all of that out of love for His Father, and out of love for you. And He did this not just to save us, but to set an example of humble service for us to follow. As Paul says, have this mind among yourselves. So let us treasure Christ's humble service and sacrifice, letting it fill our hearts and minds so His love overflows in our lives into loving and humble service of others. Let us pray. Lord, we thank You for the example of Christ. We thank You that He is far more than an example, for if He only served in that way, we could never do what He did. But first, while we were still sinners, He cleansed us and gave us the good news of forgiveness. And He has filled us with the Spirit that we can go and imperfectly fulfill His example. Help us, O God, and fill us with grace. Fill our hearts with love. May we be motivated by love to serve one another, to see that nothing is above us if Christ made Himself nothing. So God, help us to love Jesus more and to serve in His name. Amen.